Hello everyone, I'm Hashem Montasser and you're listening to the Lighthouse Conversations, a podcast featuring entrepreneurs from the world of arts, culture, tech, and of course food. Today's episode is a special one and one that's very dear to my heart. It features Deborah Kletter, the founder of EatQuest NYC. The actor Alec Baldwin describes her on his podcast as a food guru to some of the world's most discerning palates. I couldn't agree more. We recorded this episode earlier in the year for an intended summer release. Unfortunately, Deborah passed away suddenly but peacefully in April. She was 66. I was first introduced to Deborah and her connection to food through one of my all-time favorite podcasts, Alec Baldwin's Here's the Thing, where he referred to Deborah as the restaurant whisperer. I was so taken in by Deborah and her passion for creating food itineraries that I got in touch with her immediately to recommend a few restaurants for me ahead of an upcoming trip to New York City. Over the next few years, I would continue to contact Deborah prior to my trips, whether I was going to New York, Los Angeles, or London, and we became good friends. In fact, I'm not sure what was more fun, really, eating at the venues that she recommended, which were always spot on, by the way, or the conversation Deborah and I had before, during, and after each meal. In that sense, Deborah represented everything I love about food, how experiential it can be, how it tells particular stories, and how it helps connect people. When I spoke to her for this episode, Deborah told me that food is intergenerational and that hearing that my son and I bonded over a meal recommended by her was what made her happiest. They really don't make them like that anymore. This episode is a tribute to her person, her craft, her talents, and her magical ability to put a smile on people's faces. Deborah Kletter would be missed by her family and friends, myself included, and by everyone whose lives she touched along the way. May she rest in peace. Now, as I mentioned, Alec Baldwin called Deborah the restaurant whisperer. But much before she harnessed those talents to launch EatQuest NYC, Deborah actually started out as a lighting designer in the theater. But as the landscape of that industry and the medium was changing towards film and television, she was compelled to change gears as well. I started doing garden lighting, and, um, which I really loved because you got to be moody and evocative and you know, sort of create these magical landscapes. Um, and then there was a recession and a lot of people, you know, their first priority was not lighting their garden. So I thought about, well, what else do I love? I love food. And that, that's the one thing that it was food and light. And I'd always kind of created experiences for people just because just, you know, people would always ask me where they should go. I have an instinct for it. It's, it's like, I, I consider it, you know, a, a, an additional sense, you know, there, there's kind of, you know, seeing, hearing, smelling, and then there's my, you know, passion for food. Did this start when you were young at home or what prompted this love for food? I think a lot of it had to do with, with family and home that, you know, food was, was, you know, the dinner meal was a, was a central focus. Um, everyone always talked about food. I think in, I grew up in a culturally Jewish household, not a religious household, but I think in that world and, uh, you know, sort of similar, similar to Italians, food is just this sort of, you know, this thing that unites everyone. And you, you told this funny story, which I love, um, where, where you said that, Pretty much your mother was very versatile when it came to different oh, dishes. Yes. My mother, my mother was very experimental and she loved to give dinner parties. Um, but she would never, if you said you liked something, she would never make it again. Not, you know, not out of vindictiveness, but really just out <laughs> of, you know, well, okay, that would, you know, I can check that off. Let's explore something else. So you got to eat a lot of different things over the years. 
Yes, over the years. And did you learn to tell her then not to tell her the truth that you actually like it so that she keeps it on the menu? You know, we never thought of that. And that's really, <laughs> that's, shame on us for, for, not, for not going the opposite direction. Um, yeah. It, it, it didn't occur to us. We were just always, you know, sort of intrigued. And I was also extremely indulged. If I didn't like something, then my mother would make me something else. And, you know, I know a lot of people didn't have that opportunity, but I did. And where, where in the U.S. did you guys grow up? Where, where was home? In northern New Jersey, which is just outside of New York City. Okay. And then you obviously moved to, you moved to New York City for your, when you started, started your job. And you've stayed there ever since, or did you move around? No, I went to college out of New York City. But after that, I came back to New York, temp what I thought was temporarily, and, and turned out not to be. Okay. And let's fast forward now to, so as you were leaving your, um, the lighting business, the, you started thinking about food. And how did that move from an idea to an actual business? Walk us through the steps. Um, I had a, a, another friend who was also, you know, who cooked really well and we, you know, loved food and we would all go out to restaurants and, and she and I would always organize it. Um, and we would, you know, somebody, we, I think I told the story on Alex's podcast, but someone I knew, this, an intern in an office, wanted to uh, uh, propose to his, his, his future wife. And so we created the evening. We told him, you know, where he would have drinks, what table he would sit at when it got to the restaurant, where he would propose to her. We, we sort of orchestrated the whole thing. And he did it, and it was, you know, a big success. And, um, and that was just something we were always interested in doing. And then she and her family moved to Italy. And, you know, and, and I just kind of like put that idea to the side, but I was always intrigued by it. Plus, being in the theater, you don't make a lot of money. So, you know, the, the pastime, and this was before the Internet, um, was just walking around. And so I would walk around with, with friends and we would sort of discover some interesting, odd little cafe in some ungentrified neighborhood. And that would enable us to, um, you know, to sort of find out about a place and then I would go and tell everybody and, you know, make them go there with me and have meals and just became something that that I love to do. So people started always calling me and saying, where can I go for this or where can I, you know, I have this, you know, occasion or we want to go out to dinner. Or we want to have a date, whatever it was. And I just became kind of obsessed by it on the side. So I just wanted to figure out a way to see if I could monetize that. And then you started, I'm guessing, like most businesses, uh, word of mouth. So friends of friends asking Absolutely. you for, for recommendations. And was the focus New York or was it from the get-go to kind of you trying to build a network of, of people and experts and others that you talk to about other places as well? Um, the, the, the focus was New York for probably, you know, a month. But okay. because I've traveled a great deal and I also have, you know, friends and sort of what I call my network, you know, all over the world, I, um, I became, you know, I, I knew that I wanted to do it globally. And, that, and I, used to, I used to, you know, sort of, you know, be in a foreign city, not know where to go to eat, see someone that I thought looked interesting on the street and ask them where they like to go. You know, and then we would, we would trundle off to the restaurant that person recommended to us. And usually it was fabulous. And it just became a way to sort of, you know, find other places without looking at some guidebook that was now out of date. Well, I mean, I have to say that when you sent me your recommendations for both New York and Los Angeles, and I've tried every one of them, and <laughs> every one of them hit the mark. I mean, you know this because I obsessively emailed you after each meal. But it literally did hit the mark. And, and we were, you know, asking for 
different things because some things I want to do as a family. I have young children. Some place I just want to go with my wife and some place I want to explore by myself. And, and I think you really got that and created essentially what's a curated experience Thank in both you. Los Angeles and New York. And it really made us look at the city, uh, both cities really differently. Um, and it's interesting because, so that was going to be my next question. I mean, I know New York pretty well. Los Angeles, I knew less well. But it allowed me to really almost see New York from a different lens. Um, a very curated but very interesting one because I think your choices were extremely sort of eclectic and experimental. You weren't shying away from... So when someone sort of comes to you and says, you know, I'm going to be in New York, I know you ask obviously a set of questions to understand what, what their needs are and what they're looking to do. But then how do you go about crafting this list? Um, well, thank you for all that you said. I really appreciate that. I feel like, you know, there are two things that I've often said about this is that one is that I think of it as a dating service for people and their food. So I approach it from the point of view of, you know, where, who do you want to spend time with? Where do you want to spend that time? And, um, you know, and how do you want to spend that time? And the other thing becomes it, it's, it's, it's almost like being a shrink for somebody who wants to go out to eat because I end up hearing people's stories. I get all kinds of requests. I had somebody who contacted me from, um, from Denmark and he had a, a, a past love in his life. They were no longer together, but once a year they meet somewhere in the world to have a meal together. And they were going to be meeting in New York and he'd heard the podcast and he said that they, you know, he, he told me, talked about what they liked, how they cried when they see each other. I have no idea, you know, why they're not together and you know, what the, what, what the actual situation was. And believe me, I would kill to know the, the whole story. But it was just, um, it was so beautiful. And he wrote me this, you know, lovely email about what he was looking for. And so I could not stop thinking about him. I mean, I, I thought about every single restaurant that I've ever been to and tried to craft this, this evening for him. And I did, and I was, you know, and, and we talked it over and I sent him, you know, different ideas and we came up with the plan. I was so excited. And then late the night before I got an email from him saying that his connecting flight had engine trouble and he wasn't going to make it in time. And he was only going to get there very late at night and he had to leave the next morning from New York to go to Toronto for a business trip. And so... You know, but it was such a, you know, and I was left hanging. I felt like, oh, my God, but what's <laughs> going to happen? When are you going to see her again? And um, and I don't know what happened. I mean, I did write him and tell him, you know, that I, I hoped, you know, that I could help him the next time and all of that. But um, but it's such an amazing thing to sort of have been a part of that. And I, you know, another another person was a father and son who hadn't spent any time together. The father was nursing his sick wife. They lived in two different states. They were going to meet in New York to come and, and have an adventure and go. They, they said, we're willing to walk or take a subway anywhere. We just want to go to like sort of the most obscure, odd places. And I crafted a whole tour for them for the four days they were going to finally have together just to be in the city. So you end up getting, you know, and there are more details than that, obviously, but, but you end up getting into sort of people's stories. And, um, and, and their lives, really, because also food is so personal, ahead. right? It's, it's very personal. Um, and, you know, I feel like food connects generations. It, it's an yes. alliance. You know, it gives us a chance to tell our stories to each other. And it's this incredible ritual that I love being a small part of in someone else's life. So when, when we think about food, because obviously the experience is, starts and ends with food. But if I, if I go to a restaurant today, 
part of the experience is, I mean, it's, 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 it's the ambiance, is the service, is so, so many factors come into what makes a meal a remarkable um, and memorable. How do you factor this in? I mean, is it sort of thinking, you know, food is the central and then, you know, let everything else sort of sit by the wayside? Or do you try to bring that in into your recommendations? Oh, no, it's the whole thing. I mean, okay. you, you have to sort of, I think part of, of, of what it is is that, you know, it is about conviviality. If a restaurant wants you to be there, you'll have a good time. And it's sure. sort of the conviviality that makes the difference. So it's it's about the whole mise-en-scene. It's about the buzz of enjoyment. It's, it's not about, uh, you know, what you think you're supposed to like, what you heard about, you know, from some happening person or, or read in, in, in review. It's about, you know, I, I keep saying that it's, it's really, um, it's about what, what, what's hot and happening for you, not what's hot and happening for the world at large. So Correct. I think that it's, for me, it's everything. And, and you know that if somebody wants, if, if they're happy to have you eat their food, the experience is gonna be great. Um, so I feel like I'm just, I just have an instinct for connecting. I li I really listen to people and I listen to what you're sort of saying to me and I try and get a sense of who you are. And then I can, I, I just let it sort of swirl and come to me and I can figure out where I think it makes sense for you to be. Um, I don't have a better way of explaining it. I mean, I feel like I'm a steward of information. I remember, I think that's exactly right. I remember with the recommendations you sent me, I mean, it was exactly that way and you also sort of would add in each one one or two things whether it's a drink or maybe a particular dish but you weren't trying to force these dishes anyway those were suggestions to almost sort of complete the evening or the, or the afternoon uh, and make it sort of a holistically a great experience and and I would know the direction you're taking with that and then make my choices accordingly I didn't always uh, pick those sometimes I did but I was very intrigued because it, it almost kind of give you a puzzle and put it all together. Well, well, I'm so glad to hear you say that because, and also I'm not telling you here's what you have to do, you know, or don't call me sure. again. I'm just trying to give you a framework. So, you know, I feel like I'm a conduit to a meal that I think you will enjoy and I'm excited about sharing it with you. And it's as simple as that. And, and, and just talking a little bit about New York, because obviously the city you know really well, you've lived there for a long time. Mm -hmm. What has changed in terms of the New York um, food scene. Just give us a sense for those that maybe don't know New York so well over the last couple of years, what have been the main 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 sort of changes and, and trends that you've seen in terms of food? Well, I think um, one of the trends is that um, it is, I mean, I don't know if I could call it a trend, but but people are, 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 are very obsessed with it being, I mean, it depends on your age range. Um, sure. You know, there, New York in the 90s became a place that was about everything being really flashy and loud so that you felt you were out. Like, what was the point of going out if you couldn't hear it and, and you know, and sort of see it? Um, and so that has changed. Now it's much, there's much more of a focus on something that is um, sustainable in terms of the kind of food that they serve, something that is comfortable, um, something that where, where people can actually have a conversation and hear each other. And, um, and I think that, you know, that that has made a really big difference that there, that, that it's, you know, that there's a sustainable sushi restaurant, that there's zero waste is the prime focus now, that there are those kind of things and that people really want to know where their food comes from. They want to know what they're eating. They want to taste their food. They want to actually 
you know, not have it be so manufactured that, that a carrot tastes like, you know, anything. They want to taste a carrot that actually tastes like a carrot. The sweetness of the earth, you know, that, that kind of, you know, um, you know, uh, just, just, just flavor. And, and you feel that obviously New York has gone through a lot of changes. I mean, you know, the cost of labor has gone up, rent has gone up. So a lot of those, what I'm guessing are the kind of restaurants you love are, are under pressure. I mean, how has that affected the, the overall scene? That, that's a very good question. Um, it's terrible. I mean, there, yeah. there are fantastic restaurants that last a year because people, you know, investors, I don't know why investors think this, but they seem to think that they're going to get their money back really fast. And it doesn't work <laughs> like that. You know, don't no, go doesn't. into the restaurant business if you're looking for fast cash. And so I know of, of several different chefs who've, who've had a restaurant that people love. And, um, and, you know, and it's crowded all the time, but it's small. And um, they're trying to do the right thing with the kind of food that they source. And, you know, the prices have to be reasonable enough that, that people will go there, but high enough to, you know, support the kind of business they want to do. And it's really a struggle. So they get struggle. knocked out for some, you know, big chain or big flashy other kind of place that less people want to go to, but, but investors can make more money from faster. Well, I think, I mean, you, I think you're spot on because we've had this experience as well here and starting uh, restaurants and thinking about how that works in terms of sustainability. And to your point exactly, if you have a lot of investors, some of them get it, which is great, and think yeah. long term and really care about quality. But others are looking for a fast buck. And the problem with that is if you're doing well, they want you to expand really fast, which is probably a mistake because you're not ready. And if you're not doing well, they want you to make changes really fast, which is also a mistake because sometimes it takes a while for a restaurant to kind of, you know, get its groove. So, so I, I find chefs and, and owner operators uh, tend to be under a lot of pressure. I, I even feel in New York that has changed the landscape. You have many more of those kind of large group rest type restaurants. And I'm not saying they're bad. Some of them are interesting, but it's sure. a very, very different feel. Um, the second question I have for you about this is how has, I mean, you know, when I lived in New York um, about 15 years ago, Manhattan was it. I mean, that's really where you went to eat. You right. might venture to the Lower East Side if you're very adventurous, but you didn't really leave the island. Today, you have a whole world all over the state. So how has that affected the, 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 the scene? Oh, now, now I, I, I kind of feel like Brooklyn is what Manhattan was. So, you know, it used to be, you know, people would say things like, I'm moving to Brooklyn, and somebody else would say like, oh, sorry. Um, and, <laughs> See you in ten and, years. You know now. Now you're envious of somebody that lives in Brooklyn, and there, there are just more. Um, there's, you know, now of course rents are going up there too. But, but I feel like that there are more possible restaurants there that are smaller and more unique um, that you can that are affordable. You know, you still have your really high end five star restaurants in Manhattan, but it depends what you're looking for. But I do feel like now between the Bronx and Queens and Staten Island, all the boroughs of New York City, plus over the over the river, um, which separates us from New Jersey, there's an incredible amount of good food happening. As you know, Pete Wells, the, the New York Times food critic, um, reviewed this pizza place in New Jersey that I happen to love. But he reviewed it as the best pizza in New York City is in Jersey City in New Jersey. It's so interesting. Yeah. So you're probably seeing similar trends in other cities, not just New York, where people are pushing out more and more from the kind of 
heart Absolutely. of the city. Even San Francisco and Oakland, you know, um, Oakland mm. used to be the place that nobody wanted to go. And now there, there's all kinds of food happenings going on there. You know, there, there's really, I mean, that becomes a destination, whereas before it never was. And another thing that I want to ask you about is, I mean, obviously technology is starting to be a factor in food. We're seeing a lot of disruption. We have seen, including here in Dubai, um, lots of movements towards what, what are called cloud kitchens, essentially those kitchens that basically you have a virtual kitchen as opposed to a physical restaurant, and you just deliver that same menu from that kitchen. I never heard the term cloud kitchen before. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's called a, a, a cloud kitchen, or I mean, the, the kind of not so nice term is dark kitchen because it typically is dark. And essentially what they do is you have a brand, you have a restaurant, let's say on the Lower East Side, and they uh, know that they could potentially have a lot of, uh, and usually they tend to be the fast casual type restaurants, but not only. And they want to have uh, capture customers elsewhere in the city. So instead of opening a full-on restaurant, which is obviously very expensive, they just open a kitchen. They typically go to a warehouse and, and they start um, delivering the menu from that kitchen. Now, that has all sorts of implications in terms of the quality, the, the, you know, the, the, you, no one really quite knows yet. And I'm just wondering whether it's something you think about and how this whole delivery frenzy will change the, the experience because so many more people are just sitting at home and ordering. I, 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 don't, I think to answer your question, I don't think it, it works quite the same way in New York. In New York, for one thing, in New York City, delivery is king. I mean, you know, delivery True. has always been king. You could get anything delivered at any time of the day or night. And now there are a lot of services that, um, you know, I suppose it's sort of in, a, in the vein of a cloud kitchen where it's a restaurant, though, that's functioning. And um, but they will also deliver food and there are services that for a great surcharge will go to, you know, to almost any restaurant anywhere in the city and bring it to Correct. you anywhere you are in the city. And um, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about that experience? I mean, would you if you had a, a favorite restaurant for whatever reason you couldn't go to, would you order and, and feel you have the same experience at home or do you feel that sort of takes away well, from it? You wouldn't have the same experience because you're still, you know, either you know sitting at your desk or or having others join you at a table but it's in your home and you know where you're watching tv um it's not the same thing as as actually being out and having you know it, it's sort of like pizza doesn't really work delivered in a box it just changes the, <laughs> the 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 tenor of the crust and and the whole experience i think it just tastes better when you have it fresh from the oven and so i Absolutely. do think that that's true but i you know i love the convenience of if I'm really busy working and I can't get somewhere and I want to, you know, have something that I love, I can have it, um, yeah. you know, but it's a whole different experience and I have to accept that. It doesn't mean that it's not a good experience. It's just not the same experience. The difference though here is, do, do you have pop-ups there? Pop, little yes. pop-up restaurants? I mean, that's happening more and more because everyone in the world, I, I feel, because, you know, it's so expensive, right? So, so people are not able to commit to long-term leases. That's correct. But also landlords have all this empty space. I mean, one of the big questions, I'm kind of moving a little bit off topic here, but is, and this is, you see it in Manhattan, you see it in London, you see it in Dubai, you see it in a lot of places, you have all this empty real estate and, and shopfront and people are sort of not sure what's going to happen to it. Hence, in my view, the emergence of pop-ups because, you know, you got to do something with the space. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's part of it. And part of it is that the pop-up can also be, doesn't even have to be in a space that a landlord can't do. I mean, the pop-up, 
you know, some of it there, you know, there are a lot of food halls now and food fairs. So uh, a lot of brick and mortar restaurants started now, you know, these days from being popular at, at an outdoor food fair. Correct. Which I think is a great, that's a really nice development to see. I mean, you absolutely uh, connected me, one of those in, in Boston, and I went with my family, and it was a really great experience. And a number, to your point exactly, a number of those sort of more well-known restaurants were featured there via pop-up. And, you know, I may have not had the full-on thing, but I definitely got a taste. Right. And I was able to choose from different places, which is a nice feature to have as well. Well, you know, I, I feel like New York City has been, you know, deluged with with food halls. There are now that, you know, I feel like there's you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a food hall. <laughs> but and that's great. But they also then then the subscribers to them change. So I guess someone who's not as popular or can't sustain it, then, you know, they're swapped out for somebody else who can set up their counter and, and sell what they're doing. Um, so you have to kind of keep up with that. But the nice thing is, is that you can kind of go anywhere in the city and try almost anything just by going up to that counter and grabbing a seat at a communal table and, you know, and seeing what you think about it. Yeah, I think that's right. Now, sort of historically, New York has obviously been a center of food for the United States. And I think California, especially L.A., has also emerged as a really kind of hot destination for all sorts of food. I'm not just saying high end, you know, can be all across. Are there other cities uh, that you would recommend that foodies and food lovers should go and check out purely for the experience? Oh, sure. There are tons of them. Aside from the urban centers, um, you know, uh, like L.A., San Francisco, Chicago, which are also great. Uh, Birmingham, Alabama has a huge food scene now. Um, Charlottesville has, has a great scene. Um, uh, let's see, Atlanta. I mean, I mean, honestly, I, you know, there, every, every single state has, has some city that everybody flocks to, to go for food now. So there's, there's a lot going on. Portland, I'd say that Portland and Seattle, particularly Portland is kind of maybe the capital of what's happening in, in food world here. That's so interesting. And what do you think brings out of Portland? Is it a, a couple of chefs that start and then sort of become well-known and what makes, I'm just curious, what feeds the ecosystem? Uh, I think that when you can, when you, it, it's affordability. When you can afford to get the kind of ingredients that you want and have the kind of space that you want and charge prices that, that will make more people come to, to see you, it can work. And you have the freedom to experiment and do things. You don't have to, have to subscribe to either what your investors are dictating for you or what you think is going to sell versus what you would actually like to experiment and do. And that, that's a big difference. So doing it in New York City is, you know, eight times as hard because it's eight times as expensive. It makes a lot of sense. And uh, can we just sort of uh, for a minute talk a bit more globally? Because, you know, I've asked you or I am asking you also about uh, cities out and, and recommendations outside of the U.S. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. Oh, no. Um, what if what would be sort of favorite? You can be favorite spot, favorite city. I'm just curious. I'm talking kind of uh, non-US now. Is there a particular area that you would recommend people to go to that you think they would enjoy? No, I I, I understand what you're asking, and I, and I love that. I you know, and I will tell you some some of mine. But I generally don't really talk about. I mean, cities is one thing, but I don't talk about favorite restaurants because it's not about me. It's about the other person that Makes I'm trying sense. to to help. If I'm trying to curate an experience for you, um, you know, and, and 
I want to sort of, you know, I love to be able to offer ideas that go beyond food and atmosphere to support the needs of, you know, whatever the request is. And so I want you to, um, I feel like I'm your guide. And if I can help you have a better experience than you could without me, then, you know, I'm asking for your trust. And if you give it to me, I will make it happen. So that being said, you know, my, my favorites are, you know, Barcelona and obviously Paris, Rome. There's so much good stuff happening in Helsinki right now in Finland. Interesting. And there's, um, you know, and obviously there's things going on. In, I mean, Singapore is, you know, is 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 kind of the altar of, of all kinds sure. of interesting food that's happening. So there's so much happening everywhere in the world and it's different. It's not, you know, it's not just sort of, you know, rebroadcasting what's been done somewhere else. Correct. It's, everyone's doing their own thing. And that's what's really exciting is that you can go there and have a different kind of experience. The Scandinavian countries have a very particular focus. That kind of food became very popular a couple of years ago, even here, where people tried to copy what they're doing. I was just thinking as you were speaking, because you were saying I would love to offer, you know, more. I mean... This creation, which I really believe is a gift, um, and, and if someone, as you said, has the right sense, um, even though different people ask for different things, I, I really think that's a, a big added value. Do you see yourself one day going beyond food? I mean, in a sense, almost creating no. trips? You wouldn't. <laughs> uh, that, well, that I do. I mean, I mean, I have, you know, I have favorite museums or walks or, you know, piazzas or whatever they are. And I love, I love to share all of that. I just think it's really fun. And, you know, I look at everything through the lens of creating this experience, but do I want to focus on that or book people's plane tickets and hotels? Not at all. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, um, it's just interesting because people more and more are looking for experiences. So if they're going for two or are. three days, they're they, not they necessarily, yeah, go ahead, please. Well, it, 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 that's what makes your life. Um, you know, it's not necessarily about having that object or, or I mean, I mean, all look, it's, it, it, having anything or doing whatever you want or buying whatever you want is, is a great thing. But I feel like in the end, you know, what what you have is is sort of what you shared with other people, and um, and you know, flavor it, it's sort of you know, flavors have memories. And um, and pieces of your of your past are included in that. So, you know, expectation is part of flavor. And so I think when you go and you have an experience where you get to kind of taste, um, taste a place, taste a city by the food that they're doing, you know, because it comes from their land and sort of that, that terroir rings through to everything that you're that you're drinking and eating i i don't think that can compare with 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 anything else that that you can do and to share that with people that you love um is you know is especially incredible so i, I do think that you know that that that's what makes it, it makes your life you go home and that's 100%. what you remember that's and, what you think about and people want trusted voices right i mean There is yes. so much noise now. I mean, you spoke uh, when you, uh, with Alec on his podcast a little bit about this, about some of the kind of current sites that people go to. And I share your view that some of them are good, but many of them you just have sort of anyone and everyone going in and making a comment. It could just be in a bad mood. It could be anything. And it winds up creating a lot of noise, especially on the Internet, that, that confuses people. So people are looking for someone to sort of take that and break it down and give them small bites essentially yeah no, that's a good way to say it absolutely 
that that's great. They do, and I feel like with me, when I try to explain to people what I do and they don't know, um, they don't always get it. I mean, I think they look at me like I have three heads. And, you know, and the difference is that once they try me and they realize, you know, what I'm offering them and that, that I will go into detail and that I really think about what they want and all that kind of stuff, um, I, then, th then they come back like yourself. Yeah, and it's, um, it's, a, it's clear that it's a point of view. So for those that just want kind of the uh, uh, common denominator, I don't think that's the right service, frankly. You know, they can go elsewhere right. and they'll find, you know, kind of, you can also just Google, you know, top five places in Rome if you want. Mm -hmm. So I think that, that it's not for everyone. I think you are coming with a point of view and a perspective for those that understand that and appreciate it, and I'm definitely one of them. I mean, I, I have to say my, my, my um, oldest son, who is who's not so old, who's, who's uh, eight, who I think is sort of a self-proclaimed foodie, whatever that means, um, mm -hmm. is, is equally intrigued. I mean, he takes your list and he's sort of part of our journey in Los Angeles. So where are we going today? What did Deborah say? And we would sort of, you know, go to Koreatown oh and try God, a place. Oh, my God, I love that. Yeah, yeah. And he gives me very, I mean, every time we leave, he religiously gives me his feedback which I may or may not incorporate in my feedback to you, but he takes his job very seriously. Um, oh, I wish you would. I don't, I don't, I mean, I'll take any feedback. I, I understand that, you know, uh, I mean, even a restaurant can have an off day or, or maybe it's a misconnection. I, I get it. But no, I it's, it's brilliant. And it's brilliant because it's also, you know, you get a child's perspective, which is sometimes yeah. different than us, but he, you know, really pays attention and, uh, that has now developed into a ritual that we have or once a week here in Dubai. We go into mostly sort of street food space and find, try to find a new place. And we kind of sit there, eat, and then, you know, share our, um, our views. So we're kind of trying to be min mini Debras, if you, if you will, uh, just with oh. each other for, for one day. You're too kind, but that's, that's phenomenal. And what an incredible bonding experience. Because, I mean, what else, what else bonds you other than sitting at a table, you know, across from somebody that, you know, that you love that deeply? That's pretty extraordinary. When you started, you were talking about, you know, sort of your family history and how that weaves in. And it's interesting because I think each, every one of us has one of those stories. And it only, it's sort of like growing up only at a certain point in your life. At least that's what I felt you feel sort of mature and confident enough to make your own choices. I mean, the early choices in your life are so dictated by your family. And then at some point, yes. you're like, well, you know what? Maybe I do like sushi, even if they all don't. And that's okay. <laughs> right, exactly. Just because my family didn't doesn't mean that I don't. Absolutely. But I, I think also that I think people always seek home in their food. Um, not point. that they want to go out and have what they had growing up or, or what they, they, they definitely want to go out and not have something that they would make or not have something that, you know, that they can easily order in. They want to go have, have some kind of, you know, an adventure or, or, um, something new maybe that sparks their interest. But I do think that there's a sense of home in whatever it is that they're looking for. And I think that that makes a big difference. And, and somewhere, you know, that, that, that connects to, to where they came from with their perspective on food. You know, food, having a meal is a celebration. You can make an occasion out of it, whether you're having a hot dog from a stand or a five-star meal in, you know, in one of the top 50 restaurants of the world. It's, you know... It's just it, food, you know, I keep saying this, but food leads us to other pleasures or consoles us for the loss of them. That's a bastardized version from a philosopher but, or a writer. But <laughs> it's, um, 
but it's true. You find comfort, you find pleasure. You know, how many things can, can you say that about? No, I think that's, uh, that's 100% right. Um, uh, one, one last question I have for you on, on that topic. How often do you sort of, I mean, because obviously, especially in New York, you, you know, obviously, the, the restaurants uh, very well. Do you still allow yourself, because you started by saying that you, a lot of it was walking and discovering. Do you still do a lot of that, or do you feel now you just know your destinations and you sort of head towards Well, you, that doesn't exist anymore, because, you know, if somebody thought of it, it's already on the Internet. So it, it's, you know, now everybody knows everything and it's a question of, you know, are you interested in a race to the finish to, you know, get there first or write about it first um, or be able to tell about it? Or, you know, you just sort of get a sense of, of you know, what, you're, what you want to try. I, I get, I just get these, you know, I'll just sort of hear about something or I, I get, you know, more earlier indications than the average person might get of what's, of what's about to open or what's happening. But it's not the same as when you got to walk around an ungentrified neighborhood because now every neighborhood is gentrified and now everybody knows everything. It's like books and movies are written about before they're published and, you know, or open. So, you know, that's, that's the sad part of the internet is that it, you, you know, you can discover things on your desk at home, but, um, you know, but you discover less of them, which is why travel, you know, when just walking around the city, but that's why travel is so important because you get to go somewhere and put yourself in a situation that you don't know and, and, you know, hear about or find somebody on the street that you think, you know, looks like somebody you'd want to have a meal with or, you know, go on an adventure, um, you know, through the jungle to find, you know, where somebody is, is, is grilling up some fresh fish, you know, right on the beach. And, and all of that makes a big difference is, is to, you know, what your sense of discovery about a place is. It, it doesn't, it just doesn't happen as much, I think, in urban areas in the same way. I think that's 100% right. When I go to Instagram account, what, I've, what I love to do is the interplay between the pictures and obviously the place, and I may or may not know it, but also your little, what you write about it, which I find always has a sense of humor and a sense of, sort of fun. And, and that's sort of, I want to end on that note because I think that's something that is really important. A lot of people, uh, and more and more people are sort of self-proclaimed foodies, but we kind of have to remember that it should be fun. At the end of the day, if they take it too seriously, something is taken away. So I feel that you've maintained that fun element and that's really important. Oh, thank you. I love that. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, look, the world is hard enough and, you know, everyone's seeking solace for, you know, in, in some way, in, in whatever their passion is. And, you know, and definitely they, they want it in a meal. So if I can sort of be part of that and, and, and enjoy it and have them enjoy it, I, I want to say one last thing if, if I can. Sure. And um, it, is that, you know, there's so many times where I have, I, I'm at my computer and I think, oh, oh, my God, you know, I better stop doing what I'm doing and get back to work. And then I realize I am working. Um, <laughs> this is actually what That's I do. Great. I just, you know, I just love it so much. I love reading about food and writing about food and, you know, and, you know, making plans for food and sharing food ideas with other people that that actually is, um, it, you know, I just can't believe that it's actually my job. 
And, and I forget that sometimes I think, oh my God, you know, I'm going to get in trouble if I don't get back to work. And it's like, no, I'm working. It's okay. <laughs> That's great. What a pleasure. Deborah. thank you so much. Thank you for sharing all your stories with us. That's terrific. And thank you so much for having me on. Um, and, and thank you so much for, you know, being such a, a great supporter and, and, and a really fun, fun client. I mean, it's a pleasure trying to think of things for you because I always want to see if I can stump you and, and excite you. <laughs> Deborah, you will be missed. You can read the touching message by the EatQuest NYC team for Deborah by visiting eatquestnyc.com. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Lighthouse Conversations, hosted by me, Hashem Muntasser, and produced by Chirag Desai. We'll see you in two weeks.